Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com, and we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com changelog. This episode of JS Party is brought to you by our friends at Sentry. Sentry is an open source error tracking application that shows you every crash in your stack as it happens. It gives you details to prioritize, identify, reproduce, and fix each issue. They also give you information to support your team so you can use that information to reach out to those affected. Head to changelog.com Sentry. Start tracking your errors today for free. Get off the ground with their free plan. Once again, changelog.com slash sentry. Tell me sent you. And now onto the show. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Fridays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelog.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time. Head to changelog.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JSPartyFM. And now on to the show. Hey, welcome to JS Party. Where it's a party every week with JavaScript. I'm Michael Rogers. I'm Alex Sexton. I'm Jessica Lord. And Jessica's filling in for Rachel this week. Oh, she's at the yes. conference. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I've already failed. <laughs> we're lucky enough to have her back. Um, and and our, first, our first topic today is uh, the release of Node.js version 8, not to be confused with V8, the engine. Uh, and to talk about that, we've got a guest on, uh, James Snell. Why don't you say hello, James? Hey, how's it going, everybody? All right. So what's in <laughs> no one answered it. <laughs> it's going well, James. Yeah, it's really yeah. well. Doing well. That's good. So, yeah. So J- James is the uh, now he is actually the the director of the TSC. He sits on the the board of directors for the Node.js Foundation. But why don't you tell us a bit about what is in Node.js version eight? Oh, there's lots of stuff in version eight. Um, back, well, we're going to need uh, more details than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week. It was a nice talk. Oh, to yeah. Everyone. All that. Um, <laughs> But to be honest, it's, it's actually one of the largest major releases we've had in quite a while. Um, I mean, eight, eight is, I mean, at least two bigger than six, and it's way, oh, yeah. way more oh, than yeah. four. Oh, yeah, it's twice as big as four. <laughs> I, think. Um, I think there was something like somewhere around just over 150 Semver major uh, commits uh, in this one. Um, so it's actually uh, pretty significant. Um, uh, a number of the high points is uh, we have what should be the final API for async hooks. Is there? It's still experimental, but that's there. Um, there is the new util promiseify function, which we can talk about. Uh, there is uh, the Node API, NAPI, the, the uh, evolved version of the uh, native abstractions for Node uh, that actually allows uh, ABI stability across Node versions, um, which is really cool. Um, we have some other things like the URL, the WebWG URL uh, implementation is now officially supported, no longer experimental. Uh, and, and a number of other things, but that's, that's probably the the most significant new things. So, so uh, d- dig into that an API thing a little bit because it's like behind a flag and stuff like that. So, so tell us a bit more about that in detail. 
So an API, uh, the the whole purpose of it is to allow native uh, native add-on developers to write to a an API that is going to remain stable, that is guaranteed to remain stable across node versions. So previously, if you're writing a, a native uh, add-on, you're writing to the V8 APIs, or you're writing to the um, the native abstractions for node, the NAN um, tool. The problem with those is that every time V8 changes its ABI, you end up having to recompile. Every time you uh, install a new version of Node, uh, or a new major version, you end up having to recompile. The new NAPI um, API is really designed to make it so that a native add-on can be written once uh, and used across multiple versions of Node without recompiling on a single system. It's even possible to write a, a module that works both against the V8 version of Node and the Chakra Core version of Node. So not just different versions of the V8 engine, but a completely in, different engine altogether. Uh, the idea is to reduce maintenance costs and development costs over over time and make it significantly easier to actually you know build and deploy and use these native add-ons. So it's pretty exciting. That's interesting. I have a question. I don't. This maybe it's unrelated. I wonder if this will help Electron development at all. Uh, it should. Uh, I'm not very familiar with what native uh, modules Electron is using, but it should. Anything that interfaces with the native layer uh, should be helped significantly by this. Uh, it should uh, allow those modules to become more stable over time, uh, and should allow the upgrade experience to be uh, far less irritating. <laughs> you don't have to do npm. <laughs> install and, and rebuild every single time you yeah. update your node mod, you know, your node version so yeah so I, I think the big thing with electron 2 isn't that you know it is using native modules it's that when you use native modules in your electron app they need to be pointed at the version of node that goes into the electron app not the one that you're using on the command line um, yeah so yeah th this will definitely help but that also right that because electron sometimes breaks ABI because it has to patch node to work with that V8 since V8 is moving faster. Right. And I think that's also a problem. But so maybe if ABI is getting more stable in general, maybe it helps everybody. Yeah, that's the goal. Um, e eventually, I mean, the, the whole reason any API exists is because um, about a year ago, we started taking a look at it, um, what we were going to do with node shocker core. And how are we going to enable the module ecosystem to um, remain stable as we go through this effort of enabling other VMs. Uh, and aside from just having other VMs, there's just the problems of, of different versions of the same VM changing, changing ABI. Uh, and it, we really determined that the first step before we really you know, went down that path was to we had to provide a stable ABI that would, remain, that, would, that would be guaranteed to remain stable even across different versions of these VMs. So uh, I, I think, you know, as we go down this path, I mean, if we're still very early, as we go down this path, it will make things like electron development easier. Um, uh, it's just, we have, a, we have a ways to go. It says in the release notes here that you did a bunch of good stuff around promises. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. Um, so the, the, the key thing with promises, or there, there, there's two things in particular. There's this new util Promiseify, which will take uh, generally any callback style uh, async API. Um, so if you I think of like uh, FS read, uh, read file, right? The error first thing. Um, yeah, anything that takes like the error first and then uh, some set of um, arguments afterwards. It will take that and automatically wrap it into in a function that is um, promise enabled. 
right? Uh, so if you do a util promiseify fs read file, right, then you'll get a promise back. Um, a, a function that returns a promise back that you can use with like async, uh, async await and that kind of thing. Uh, it works probably for, you know, 80, 90% of the functions, the callback receiving functions in Node. Um, for the ones that it doesn't, that doesn't, they don't quite fit the pattern, like FS exists, for instance, um, that doesn't have that error first pattern. Uh, there is a way of customizing the source function so that uh, you can customize the way that that promise is made so it'll still work. And we are going through a number of different functions within core and, and adding this customization. So right now there's there's a, a couple that, that don't quite work um, and we're, we're working on, on, on fixing those. But it's also something that any other modules that want um, to use util promiseify, they should be able to do the exact same thing. It's pretty exciting. The other thing we did with promises is we made it so that uh, for a native promise, um, uh, it is now domain aware. So the domains module has been deprecated for a while, but it, it's still used. It, you know, and there's still lots of people that use it. Um, now, when you you know inside your catch, you can actually access the current domain, which is uh, it's it, it's relatively minor, but it is important. So. Did did that change go in uh, that everybody was freaking out about about the uh, throwing on uncut rejection that whole thing? <laughs> no, uh, that that has not uh, landed yet. Um, the, the reason for that is we we still have not settled on any kind of consensus on what the action should be. The biggest thing that we've identified right now is that when an unhandled rejection occurs that there should at least be a process warning emitted that has the original stack trace. Um, it is possible to do that right now um, using the, the, the dash dash trace warning uh, argument. But uh, what we want to do is change it so that it's the default. By default, it just shows that stack trace when, when those happens. The challenge with that, with anything that we do here, is that the promises model really leaves it up to the host environment to figure something out and anything that we've any path we go down doesn't quite fit well within the model we either end up with a high number of false positives unhandled projections that are handled later right and we don't quite know when to when they're going to be handled uh, or just things that where people intentionally aren't handling them and there shouldn't be any warning at all because it's that's what the developer wanted so it's it's, it's really difficult to kind of figure those things out and see what we need to do there. So at this point, we've settled on, let's not do anything yet <laughs> until we figure it out more. <laughs> so pulling us out of the, the weeds a little bit here, um, I've seen a lot of people throw around like this uh, V8 turbofan plus ignition thing in the compiler pipeline. And it gets thrown around a lot, and it's like magic performance sauce that everybody's kind of throwing at everything. <laughs> Can you explain like what, what this actually <laughs> means and what it does to people's code? Okay, so... Right now, what's inside V8 is you know you have the compiler and the optimizer. The compiler you know takes the JavaScript, compiles it down to bytecode. Optimizer um, does a number of tricks to make it faster. Um, the turbofan and ignition is just a new compiler and a new optimizer inside uh, V8. And for most people, um, it's you know whether you're using the old crankshaft stuff or the new stuff, it's it's not going to be any impact. You're not going to see any difference. 
But the new uh, compiler and optimizer is really geared towards um, optimizing the new language features. So things like class or um, spread arguments or any of the new language features. Crankshaft just was not, which is the old optimizer, just wasn't set up to handle these new language features very well at all. Um, and and new, you know, the new tool chain will make it so that those things can actually perform decently going forward. Right. So for most people, they won't see a difference. The the code that is going to see a significant difference is code that has been highly, highly optimized advantage of quirks in the old crankshaft um, optimizer. So we have some examples of this in Node Core itself, where we actually will unroll uh, loops, you know, for loops, uh, in order to make it faster. So what that means, instead of just going through the entire loop every time, we'll see, does this thing only have one item or two items or three items? And we will special case, you know, handling those and then loop only if none of the other more optimized cases uh, apply. And under crankshaft, it ends up being significantly faster. Code that is highly optimized for crankshaft could actually end up running slower under uh, turbofan. Um, because a lot of those optimization tricks are no longer there or are being done a completely different way. Uh, so it, it's kind of a, you know, it, we, we shouldn't see code break. We, could, we shouldn't see uh, any existing stuff just stop working, but we could see some a, a very different performance profile under the new uh, um, tool chain once we enable that. So that, that's probably the biggest difference people will see is just the performance of their applications will change. Particularly with ES6, right? Or any new oh, JavaScript yeah. features, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Any, any new JavaScript features could, should become significantly faster. Yeah. And async await is in here too, right? I think it was also yep. in version 7, but this is the first, yep. you know, one that's scheduled to go into LTS. There's like a lot more yep. users coming onto it. So async await is starting to become a feature that you can just kind of depend on. Yep, yep. Um, in Node. Yeah, in Node. There, there's efforts right now even to uh, explore allowing async await in the REPL. So just on the command line, um, being able to do await. And you know, there's, there's quite a few things that are, that are being looked at, uh, figuring out how to make it more useful. Uh, Util Promisify is going to go a long way towards making that useful. You said there were like a ton of major changes. Uh, oh, like yeah. a lot of those happen to are breaks and not you know, these feature ads. So like what are the things that, that were broken? Oh, I'm kind of going through the list right now. Um, buffer, um, you know, buffer num now zero fills by default. If you call it new buffer, um, it's not really so much breaking as in functionality, but breaking in terms of performance. It's significantly slower. Um, but safer. It, but significantly safer. Kind of looking through some of these others. Most it, it, most of the breaking changes are, we mark them some of our major, largely for um, defensive purposes because we don't, you know, it, it could break. It doesn't necessarily definitely break. For example, in child process, we're doing more argument validation. Um, yeah, before it was pretty loose in terms of validating the input arguments, and now it'll 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 throw if you pass in the wrong things. Same thing, I think, with some of the crypto arguments. There's a few deprecations in here. Um, yeah, a few new things that you know users really shouldn't have been using in the first place. That we're we're only using internal like um, sync write stream, I think, is one of them, um, uh, which is it's always been there, but it was always intended to be just an internal only thing. So we've now uh, have a runtime deprecation on that. A lot of these are changes to error messages. Um, we have to treat error mess changes as some major in in core because people actually parse error messages and, yeah. to determine what happened. 
So what we're doing is we're going through and adding new static error codes to all these so that if you want to know what error actually occurred, you'll just have to look at the code and you can ignore the message. Uh, and once we once we make that change, we'll be handling error message changes to some major minors or patches. Uh, and only changes to the error code or the error type will be Sumber Major. So that'll, that'll be a big change coming up soon. And we've started that process of migrating those now. I find that that I, I can't think of a project or a company that I've been at that didn't eventually hit th that point where it's like, uh, maybe we should stop allowing users to rely on a regex to know what went wrong <laughs> in, in the application and, and give them some solid codes. It, it also matters a lot for internationalization whenever you want errors in other languages and stuff. So, Oh, yeah. Good work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's just, I mean, like I said, there's a lot. There's over 150 of these here, so... If, uh, uh, if you're more like my end and, and doing less, I mean, I do plenty of Node applications, but uh, if you're more of a web developer used as a, a build chain, are, are you going to notice speed improvements? Are you going to notice nothing? Is there something that sticks out that like uh, a less like server-y thing person might might recognize if they just upgrade? Um, from that point of view, no. I mean, everything should be pretty straightforward. Um, there are a few things that should improve usability. Like um, right now, if you're using a, a set of tools and and the you know some dependency on those those tools uses uh, you know a deprecated API. It's very common for people to see all these deprecation warnings appear in their, in, in their console output. Uh, those can be turned off now, or you can actually redirect all of those warnings to a file um, using an environment variable or a command line argument. So it's actually possible for folks that are using Node as part of their tool chain to make Node be less noisy. <laughs> um, so that should, be, that should be a good thing. Overall, performance should be roughly the same as what um, we had under seven. Uh, there's, you know, there's some things that are faster. There's some things that are slower, but uh, it should, what, you know, on average, not did the same. seven get a lot faster than six? I, I think most uh, of us stick to the the even numbers. Yeah, uh -huh. there have been some improvements. Um, some things are faster. Some things are slower. Uh, and what we're seeing is uh, some of the slowdown is actually being caused by V8 and uh, the, these changes that are being done in the optimizer underneath uh, Node. This goes back to the earlier conversation about the turbofan. Node uses a lot of, of code that is highly optimized for crankshaft. It turns out actually runs us a little bit slower <laughs> under the newer versions of the VM. Uh, and we're actually going to have to go through and you know, update some of those things to make sure that they run faster um, as we start to switch over. So you'll see some variance there. Some things will run significantly faster. Some things will run actually quite a bit slower. I saw a tweet the other day, which I don't think I'll be able to find, Maybe. Anyways, about how many people had already downloaded Node 8. Do you feel like there are... <laughs> are I mean, I don't even know. Like, I saw it on its own. I'm like, is this a good number? Are, are a lot of people still on really old nodes? Or are, people, are you seeing a lot of movement of people getting on this version? Um, I think people will get on this version very, very quickly. Um, it's still you know, too early to tell for sure, but I think within a single day, it was 105,000 or something like that. Um, well, I have to take a look at the uh, at, at the latest numbers. What we're finding is that most of the downloads occur on the LTS versions. Um, if you look at version six, for instance, as soon as it went LTS, the number of downloads spiked. Significantly, uh, it's still the most downloaded version uh, out there right now um, by an extremely large margin. Um, the, during the first six months of, of, of Six's life, um, version four was the highest. 
and as soon as the, as soon as six went became the LTS, people were downloading it, uh, and, and the downloads for all the previous you know, all the other versions um, dropped off. If you look at version seven, uh, even you know it's not an LTS version; it was it's newer than than six. It had async await. Its downloads were significantly lower than six still. So what I, what I think you'll find is that as soon as eight goes LTS, when is that? Uh, that's going to be in October. That is when the downloads for 8 will really start to take off and it will become the predominant version. I was looking at these graphs the other day, actually, and, and one of the really nice things about them is that really old versions of Node are going away quicker. Um, yeah. there, there's definitely like, there's a floor that you can't kind of go below because a bunch of CI just tests against older versions. Um, but we can be fairly confident that people aren't really relying on them very much anymore. Um, like, you know, downloads are really floored out for 010 and 012, and um, they've even come down quite a bit for version 4, like that's the, yeah. in maintenance mode. So, I mean, uh, we were comparing the numbers earlier, um, that 100,000 mark. Um, when we do releases of, of 6, they peak out at around, um, I think it's 800,000 in a day. So, you know, already on day one, you're at an eighth of, of the market share for uh, for the last LTS line. And then by the time that we hit that six month mark, it is a big, big shift. All right, well, I think that that covers uh, Node 8. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, edumacation. Stick around. This episode of GS Party is brought to you by Hired. Hired matches outstanding people with the world's most innovative companies. At Hired, your dream job is waiting to apply to you. Instead of endlessly applying to companies hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with interesting opportunities. The best part is Hired is completely free to you. It won't cost you anything. In fact, they pay you to get hired. Head to hired.com slash gsparty. Don't Google it. This URL is the only way to double the hiring bonus to $600. Once again, hired.com slash gsparty. And now back to the show. Let's get into uh, this this glit rage, glitch raise your hand. Uh, Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Jessica, you wanna you wanna walk us through uh, how this feature works and, and what's kind of interesting about it? <laughs> yes. All right. So first of all, if you haven't heard of glitch, direct your browser to glitch.com. Um, glitch is this really awesome IDE coming out of Far Creek. Jen Schiffer is the community engineer there, and it is. It's all the things. I'll try not to spend too much time just gushing about it. But it's it's an in-browser IDE. You can have multiple people editing the code at the same time, but it's also free hosting, and it's free hosting with a node server. So everything you build, you get free node hosting. And then similar to like forking a project on GitHub, you can remix a project on Glitch. And so Glitch really wants to lower the barrier for entry and building things on the web and making it fun. And so I think last week they released a new feature um, for getting help called raise your hand. And so if you go to glitch.com, you'll see at the top of the page, it says help others get thanks. 
that will show you if anybody has any questions at the time. So what it lets you do is anywhere that you're editing code in a glitch project, if you highlight some lines of code, you'll get an icon, a little like the emoji hand raiser, and you can click it and you can describe your problem and it will go to this section on the homepage and then anyone who wants to help people who are learning and working on projects on Glitch can go and see who's asking for help. And then when you respond to someone in need, you get, you know, it'll ask that person to give you access to their project. And then you can get in and start coding with them. I, I would like to request from the uh, community that someone make a Chrome plugin that, that switches the raise your hand to a David S. Pumpkins. Icon, I don't, I don't know if you guys watch SNL, but <laughs> any <don't>. questions? <laughs> really, really solid. Uh, Tom Hanks will send us a cease and desist on that one. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but, no, I, I, I really like this feature because there's this huge, like, really important part of education that you get for free when you do, or like not for free, but like by default when you do something in person, which is like when somebody gets stuck, they go like, hey, help me. And then somebody gets them unstuck. Um, and when you're doing like really early learning, uh, like Alex was just saying last week, like you don't know what to search for <laughs> and you don't know like how to even describe kind of like what the particular problem yeah, is. The help exists, um, but you don't know how to find the help. Exactly, exactly. So like yeah. this feature does that and like it's just you have to build a support system around stuff, right? Like one of the things that like we did in Node School was that there's a lot of like online support systems to help people along if they're doing the workshoppers at home or or even like, you know, um, calling back to some of the people that help them in their in their local. And then I know Jessica built like this really cool bot that would like intervene in people's like uh, people learning GitHub for that whole workshopper as well. It's still intervening. Uh, <laughs> about 30 times a day. <laughs> so how does um, that work, by the way? So, yeah, I have um, a workshopper. It started as a Node School workshopper that ran in the terminal, but then I switched it to an Electron app because it's for learning Git and GitHub, which I wanted to make a lot more visual to explain to people remote versus local and things like that. Um, so it's an Electron app now, but the same robot intervenes as it was doing before. And basically it, it does everything really. It wears many robot hats. And so when you're doing get it, you learn, you get to the point where you add a collaborator to your project because I felt like it was important to teach people GitHub and working with other people to actually try and simulate a little bit working with other people on GitHub. So when you add the robot, his name is Repo Robot, to your project, as a collaborator, it then has access and it writes to your repo. So then you have to learn to pull in changes. Um, and then during the rest of the course of doing get it, repo robot is verifying challenges, right? Like it's checking that people have a GitHub account and have done this or that. It's like using the GitHub API a lot to verify that the person's done what they were supposed to do in that challenge. And then at the end of it all, you make a pull request and Rebo Robot is merging all the pull requests. And so it's going through and it's like sort of reviewing the pull requests because after a certain amount of time, errors became common or like mistakes people were making became common. And so like the top three or four most common mistakes Repo Robot's also looking out for and will leave a comment on your pull request telling you that this thing was wrong and here's what you can do 
to fix it. And then if your pull request is great, it merges the pull request and then it rebuilds this page that has a list of everybody's names on it that have done it, which is like 13,000 and something now, which is awesome. But also like I'm using free services as much as I can on this. And right now I have this problem where GitHub notifies you via email if you've been added to a project and then you have to accept that invitation. And so I'm using this like third party email service, but I'm using their free tier. And right now too many people are doing get it and I'm blowing through the email tier. Um, So I have to fix this. Oh man, the problems with success. Um, (laughs) I I think like this is all really interesting because it it seems like in the programming community uh, and especially in the web community, we keep coming up with these like really interesting modes of education where we actually have like, you know, intervention and hand raising and a lot of kind of follow through. And and it's like, I feel like every other week I see like a new e-learning platform that's just like a bunch of videos of lectures from people at universities. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, I don't think that people can really learn this way. Yeah, I really love about Glitch that, you know, I feel like so much of our lives are spent talking about developer tools every day and every new hot developer tool and framework. But Glitch is actually trying to build tools to help people become developers and think of new ways to do that. And that's so awesome and refreshing, I think. Mm -hmm. I also find that like if you're working on the educational side of those frameworks and you're working on the framework, like teaching people it all the time will keep it simple and and make you kind of understand like what are big barriers to entry and learning those frameworks. Yeah. What does Alex think? I think that, uh, I don't know. I don't have strong opinions here. I, I don't know. <laughs> I have, uh, this is the first time I don't have strong opinions, uh, so I'm not talking. So one of the other cool things that Glitch is solving that is a huge barrier to getting started and that maybe some of us take for granted because we've gone through the motion so much of setting up our dev environment, right? And we can upgrade our node and we'll be fine. But for beginners, setting up a dev environment and then setting up a dev environment that like works on Heroku <laughs> and knowing all the how many dinos you need and whatever. I mean, there are tons of hurdles to actually going from zero to putting something online. And so Glitch provides you an editor, it provides you a server, and so it completely eliminates all of the dev environment setup. Because it's just, it's become so complicated and it's, yeah, like, I feel like it's something that we all take maybe for granted or we just are used to, but it's just kind of a mess if you're new. Yeah, we we have a team at Stripe whose kind of whole job it is, and, you know, Stripe hires extremely skilled uh, developers pretty much across the board. Um, And we have a whole team who's dedicated to, like, helping them get their dev environments set up and be successful and be able to like know like like the developer experience and success type team and and like the fact that like as a company uh who can like choose from a large pool of very talented developers who exist and, and like it's still necessary at that level to 
provide like environments and tooling and scripts and all these different things in order to help people be successful. If you like take out the fact that like they've had years of experience on doing this type of thing and, and then you put yourself in the shoes of someone who's brand new, like especially the like if you, if you remember my story from last week, I know everyone doesn't listen week to week or pay attention to it. I say specifically, but whenever I was first getting started, like I needed a database. I didn't know how to search for database, but even once I found a thing that wasn't a database, but I thought might be, I ran it locally on my computer because I had no idea <laughs> how, how, how it worked. And so it's like uh, I was running cold fusion on my dad's windows XP box. And I didn't understand why the website went down whenever <laughs> I, <laughs> I turned it off. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think, yeah, as much, Infrastructure as can be automatic is is super interesting uh, to me uh, for for that reason. Uh, and it's really hard once you know things to know what you didn't know in the past. And I think that's why I've like I want all this stuff to exist. But I think the the absolute most important thing here is like that we measure people's ability to use this stuff and how much it helps them compared to not having it and just like tweak the hell out of it until until people can be successful more quickly. So I think it's an awesome start. I find it kind of hilarious that like one of the bigger arguments for like frameworks are easier for new people is that they're not confronted with a bunch of choices, right? Like they don't have to go out and find like every module to do every little thing. But when you ask them like, but before you use this framework, set up this dev environment, there's like a ton of choices that yeah. they haven't streamlined for you that you don't know how to make. <laughs> um, and like, it's nice that Glitch is kind of taking that out of the way. Yeah, and like one of the reasons I moved also the Git It workshop from the workshopper in the terminal was that a lot of people were doing Git It specifically to learn Git. Like they weren't developers, but they might want to be developers or they work in an office with developers and just want to know how to use GitHub, right? How to comment on something, understand what their coworkers are doing on GitHub. And then like the first step for doing get it was like install node and it's like how do you explain to somebody what node is and then try to debug across systems you know their node installation and tell them it's this like invisible thing that's going to live in your computer don't worry about it like you just need it um, and so moving it to electron meant people could just download an app, which is a really familiar process for most. And then the, the having node on your system becomes totally obscured, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think this is a good spot for a break. And then when we come back, we'll talk a bit about TAD and we'll get into uh, our projects of the week. Stick around. This episode of The Changelog is brought to you by TopTal, a global network of top freelance software developers, designers, and finance experts. If you're looking for contract or freelance opportunities, apply to join TopTal to work with top clients like Airbnb, Artsy, Zendesk, and more. When you join TopTal, you'll be part of a global community of developers who have the freedom and flexibility to live where they want, travel, attend TopTal events all over the world, and more. And on the flip side, if you're looking to hire developers, designers, or finance experts, TopTal makes it super easy to find qualified talent to join your team. Head to TopTal.com, that's T-O-P-T-A-L.com, and tell them Adam from the Changelog sent you. 
Uh, project of the week this week is uh, TAD. So TAD is a little Electron app uh, for dealing with like CSV files and tabular data and stuff like that. Um, it's pretty cool. Has anybody else had a chance to check this out? I went to the website. That counts. I, I bookmarked it because I love tabular data. <laughs> I was really excited to see this. I also like Electron apps. Whenever I see that I can download it for three platforms, I feel like this is built on Electron. Yeah, I, I just love that like Electron is letting us build like tiny apps, like apps that just do a thing. Um, like this, this isn't like a full spreadsheet app with like macros and all of that. And that for a long time, like if you wanted to do like something simple with tabular data, that was basically what you had to use. Um, and so often, like I just want something much, much simpler that can visualize and maybe do small manipulations or analysis. And this is just awesome. Yeah. Have you guys heard of, uh, what is it called? Google Docs? <laughs> Also, a little heavyweight, a little heavy. <laughs> and don't you have to be online to use it? I actually tried to do the offline version, and it was, I couldn't, I gave up. It exists on, on phones and stuff. It's like offline, something or other. For how much Google people berate everyone else about not having out offline working, <laughs> like their actual apps at Google are mostly not that functional offline. <laughs> yeah. Like I try to do a Google search without an internet connection. <laughs> Zero <laughs> results. Zero. None. <laughs> deal with that. I know. What are they thinking? Is this not what AMP is for? No. Yeah, we're, <laughs> doing, uh, we're, yeah. we're not going to get into so, that. I, I feel like you might have jumped a little too fast into what you liked that was differentiated about TAD, but like, what is it good for? Like more generally. So it's like a CSV file viewer. Like, why would I use it? So if you've ever had to deal with a CSV file, like you, you probably actually are in this weird in-between place. Like most of the time when I pull down a CSV file, like I don't actually want to put it into Excel or something like that, but I end up having to anyway. So, you know, if you want to do really simple manipulations, like you want to change the columns or you want to like um, just, you know, see what's in this file without, um, you know, trying to just look through it in a text editor, which is not fun. Um, TAD is, is a really nice way to do that. How do you think it gets its name? I, I want to think that it's from Tad the Band. Um, no, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to find anything. Tab, tab it's kind of like tab separated. Tad, tab, uh, tabular tab. data. Adam Stachowiak says tab delimited. What? Tabular. Tabular. Tab, no, <laughs> yeah, I think he's making that up. That he is not a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can call it from the command line, which is kind of nifty. I've just opened a CSV. Wow. <laughs> Everyone has just opened a CSV. <laughs> I've never seen somebody so excited to open a CSV file. <laughs> well, <it's> nice. <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement of this project. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like we haven't said a ton, but I feel like that's kind of the beauty of this this thing is that uh, it doesn't do a ton. Just go check it out. We yeah. said just a tad. It was just yeah. a tad. Oh, actually, check this out. Go to the webpage. Are you guys on the webpage? Mm-hmm. Are you, you are? You promise? Yeah. I feel like one of you are lying to me. Uh, top right corner is a GitHub thing. Hover I already right noticed. Right. I already noticed. No, I noticed first. What? Uh, the, the GitHub Octocat shadow person waves at you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've used that embed before. Oh, I yeah. haven't. I, so I think I used that one in roll call actually. 
I'm Michael. I knew about everything beforehand. <laughs> that's that's the hipster JavaScript going on. I was into it before it was cool. What, yeah, what that's why JavaScript bread is over now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Every, does everybody have their... <laughs> Before we beat a horse to death, uh, why don't we get into our picks? Does everybody have their their personal oh picks ready? Oh my gosh, I knew this was coming. <laughs> Alex, you want to you want to kick us off? Um, nope. Okay, let's <laughs> take right. a small break. No, no, <laughs> we don't we don't need a break. So I have mine ready. Uh. So yeah, I let everybody know uh, on the internet uh, that I'm going to be leaving the Node.js Foundation. So there's there's a little blog post about it and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, after a few years of, of leading the foundation since we started it, uh, I'm going to take off and do something else. I haven't decided what else yet, but I definitely need like a short break from Node.js <laughs> directly. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it should be it should be fun. Um, whatever I end up doing. And the project's in very good hands. Like everything is very, very good. It's a very positive thing. But yeah, I just wanted everybody to know that like I'm gonna be unemployed and Come to cool. Austin. <laughs> where, is that where unemployed people go to retire? Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's warm. It's overly warm. Oh. <laughs> overly warm. It's warm here in New York too. <laughs> yeah, but in the next month or so that's gonna turn into um like really muggy and they're not muggy just like really humid and gross <laughs> i've been in new york in the summer it was it was not super fun but i actually am going to be in new york next month <laughs> so sorry i was talking to someone uh yesterday and they were they were talking about how like uh publishing hours often have like a half day on friday like if you're if you work in like news at all or something like that uh because everyone who worked in like newspapers was rich enough to like get the hell out of the city on the weekends. And so they'd all peace out on, on <laughs> Friday, half, half day. And like, even though it's eight, because no one had AC and so they had to like go up to the mountains. Uh, and, and so like, it's still a thing that like publisher hours or like news hours, like kind of is a half day on Friday because 80 years ago, no one in New York had AC, which I thought was kind of like a nifty little anecdote that I thought I'd share with everyone. <laughs> I think I'm going to slip this into my future employment contract. Like I do half days <laughs> on Fridays, man. I got to, I got to get out. Got to get to the mountains. <laughs> yeah, I don't have AC. Thing. Yeah. In the Bay, in the, escaping the heat of <laughs> the fog. In the Bay area. Yeah. In the Bay area. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Do y'all have picks now? Do, is that enough time for you to think of something? I just went to my Insta paper and three of the top last things I saved were Tad what's new in NPM five and what's new in node eight. So I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You've like exhausted the, the list yeah. of things that, that yeah. you have around. Okay. So maybe I'll do some shameless self promotion. Stripe. Uh, my, my pick this week is, uh, uh, Stripe put out some new products, uh, this past week. Uh, I think like, uh, Stripe connect has, has a new version and then also something I'm trying to remember the non internal name, uh, Stripe, Sigma, uh, and you can go look at what those are. But very specifically, I'm talking about the landing pages for those. Those are my picks this week. The designers at Stripe are very good, and and they work on these. So if you check out uh, Stripe.com/connect and Stripe.com/sigma, uh, like one of the like the Sigma page is, I mean, it might as well be like a 3D uh, like C JavaScript that, that like I don't know, it's it's really nifty. Um, and then the other one 
uses some uh, my very specific thing that I like about it is that it uses CSS Grid, uh, which is uh, you know kind of like a slightly usable thing on desktop modern browsers n- now. Like it's now like probably useful. We talked about in a previous episode, even though it might not work everywhere. But I always assumed Grid was like a layout mechanism, uh, like here are some columns type type thing, or here are the sections of the web website for content. And and so like it kind of surprised me to see uh, we we kind of like these skewed stripes in the background and they used to be really hard to put together you had to like do images or do these different things and like with grid it it just works perfectly and so this is like little section with the class name of stripes so open up your console go to the stripe.com slash connect and then look at the stripe section for a beautiful like designer usage of css grid and that's my pick for the week that 10 lines of html and css (laughs) (laughs) it's cool though I, i like i i I'm always so excited when Stripe launches a new product because, like, cool, my company's doing something. Uh, but I'm really excited to see what the designers do for the the landing page for those various products because they're amazing. I love them. <laughs> uh, shout out to Benjamin DeCock and Philip Antoni. I, I think th- those are the follow them on Drupal or whatever signers do. <laughs> awesome. So on that note, uh, I guess that's going to take us out. Uh, thank you, everybody, for coming on rate us in iTunes or something like that <laughs> and, and we're done a little bit early today everybody can get some some extra food yeah. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> or go shopping for a tushy <laughs> exactly <laughs> I think can you get a tushy to sponsor yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't see why they wouldn't alright thank you for tuning in to GS Party this week Thanks also to our sponsors, Century and Hired. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. We host everything we do on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support the show. This show is produced by myself, Adam Stukoviak, and edited by Jonathan Youngblood. And the awesome music you've been hearing is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We do this show live every Friday at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern, noon Pacific. So join us at changelaw.com slash live. Slack with us in real time. Head to changelaw.com slash community. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.